Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. How are we doing tonight? Thank you, fellas. Thank you, pulpit and table guys. You have a soft spot in my heart because uh, I've been doing the pulpit now for, uh, well, too long. Too long. Um, look, if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd love for us to uh, jump to Philippians 3. That's where we're going to be hanging out tonight, uh, Philippians 3. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's good to be here with you. It's good to be. It's good to get some diversity on Australia Day. Uh, you know, I was thinking of suing. I was just like, that's discrimination. Only Australians on Australia Day. You're kidding me. And so they got the pommy bloke to uh, jump on stage. So it's good. If my accent does slip in and out, I say grass funny. I say castle funny. Uh, yogurt is another one. That's always a fun one. It's just I don't know if yogurt's going to be in here tonight, but... <laughs> If it does, uh, but no, I, I, I love Australia. Uh, if uh, I moved over here around about 10 years ago and uh, just really captured my heart um, and now I've got my citizenship in, in both countries, the UK and uh, Australia, all under Her Majesty and uh, very grateful for that. I've got two queens, uh, Her Majesty and my fiance. So, uh, um, Thanks. That was a real slow build. You weren't sure about that. Hey, uh, but a, a really cool celebration for me, something that I've been thinking about and, and really meditating on this week is um, this Sunday actually represents eight years since I started coming along to City Edge Church. Uh, eight years seems like a really long time, seems like a really short time, uh, but it's just been a powerful moment where, you know, this community of people, uh, a 15-year-old rocked up, didn't know who he was, didn't know, definitely didn't know who God was, and, uh, and this community of people just uh, loved on him, showed him who he was, and showed him who God was, and so, uh, and it's just, it's awesome. Uh, in less than seven months, I'm going to be getting married, uh, surrounded by people from this community, some people. If you're wondering why some, you clearly, you know what, some people, that's right, some people, Uh, oh that's cool. Uh, But moving over to Australia, quickly realize what a weird bunch of people you guys are, absolutely weirdos, like I've never been to Tasmania, anyway, Uh, but there's weirdos, right? Uh, there's the way that you guys talk to each other, the different references that you have, the different slogans. And to become a citizen, you actually have to do an exam. I had to sit in a room with like three government officials, sit this exam so that they knew I was a true blue Aussie. Uh, I don't have a Southern Cross tattoo on my shoulder, not yet. That's, that's coming after we get married. I had to get that done first. Uh, But look, what I wanted to do tonight, real quick, is I put together some questions of things that I think every Australian should know. Uh, Every Aussie should know. Uh, So what I want you to do is I'm going to start the sentence or the phrase, and what I want you guys to do is to yell out the answer, okay? So let's do a practice run real easy. This is probably the weirdest one, but everyone knows it. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. (laughs) Bunch of weirdos. That's so good. Uh, you guys also have ways of greeting each other, which have no sort of reference to the English language whatsoever. You say good day. Very good. You're saying good day. You've said hello to someone. Uh, you also have delicious food, food that I don't think you can get anywhere else in the world. You have snags and 
and mash. Someone got it over here. Snags and bread. Thank you. Okay. Alrighty. Bonus points for over here. And where's the best place to get a snag and bread? Bunnings. Thank you. Amazing delicacies. Just tantalizing. Only for a dollar at your local Bunnings. Uh, that's my sponsorship. Now, this is probably a tricky one. You guys have got great cinema, great film. And one of the great movie quotes that really just impacted and shaped my life is uh, the phrase, if I say, that's going straight to the pool. Whoa, more than snags and bread. What a weird bunch. This is amazing. Uh, Well, well done. You guys are all Australian citizens, probably more so than I am. Congratulations. But it's just weird, right? Uh, And so the thing is, is that there are certain things that maybe don't make you Australian, but there's things that definitely should come out of Australians. Uh, there's certain things, uh, you were born here, you got your citizenship, good on yous. But to be an Australian, there's certain characteristics, there's certain phrases, there's certain ways and behaviours in which you'll live your life. I never knew what, in England, there's no such thing as shackers. Like straight up. I came over here, I thought I'd joined a gang. I was like, I'm in too deep already, mum. Two days at school, we're gone. Uh, but so it is with being a believer. So it is with being a Christian. That there are certain things that maybe don't make you a Christian, but I would certainly think we should expect that they come out of a Christian. We've been talking about these things in Genesis, uh, the series. We've been talking about prayer, about consecrating, making ourselves right before God at the start of the year. And these are things that, you know, if you don't do them, you're not necessarily not a Christian, but it's kind of... If you're being obedient to Jesus, I would expect it to some degree. See, the thing is about becoming a Christian is that there's no amount of praying. There's no amount of worshipping. There's no amount of singing. uh, There's no amount of anything that you could do to become a Christian, to get your relationship right with God. In fact, all of us in the same room start on the same playing field here. We all say, come with an open hand, say, Jesus... I can't do this. I can't bridge this gap. So I need you to come and step in. And the question tonight is, is do you accept that or do you refuse to take it? You know, there's really annoying people when you go to shout them at the restaurant and like, no, 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 no. And then they do it like three times. No, 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 no. You're like, dude, just take the meal, man. Come on. So it is, I think, with Jesus. And tonight, what I want to do is really just talk about and finalize What are some things that we should expect of being a believer? If we're really going to set up January right, that we may run the race of all that 2020 has got for us. Because a new year, that's exciting. We should be excited about it. What could God do? What could God do if we really chose to partner with Him? What could happen? And I believe that Although that we live in a great land of Australia, we, we shouldn't be satisfied totally with it. Although we, have, we are blessed absolutely with the freedoms that we enjoy, we have some of the best coffee in the world. Come on, that's from heaven. Hello, come on. This interesting read we've got going on. Although we shouldn't be satisfied with it. In fact, I think we should desire another kingdom another nation, 
one that is not built of this earth, that no politician, with all their strengths and all their weaknesses, with no system could solve the problems that we have, not only externally, but also internally. We should desire not the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of heaven. Can't tell you what the kingdom of heaven's like. See, the kingdom of heaven is when Jesus rules and reigns, and his commands are not done out of harsh duty, but by loving obedience to the king we desire. When the kingdom of God arrives, relationships that were once severed are now healed and brought back together again. See, when the kingdom of God arrives, the fruits of the Spirit are present in every believer. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, steadfastness, self-control. All these things present in the believer. That's what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom of God looks like when we have right relationship not only with God, but also with the environment that we were called to take care of. Where people are generous. Where no one goes hungry. That's the kingdom we desire. Where justice, where people have done wrong, comes down like a river, as Amos said. It pours down. That's the kingdom we are desiring. And so as we talk tonight, I want to continue this idea of kingdom. And really what I want to do is talk about the kingdom not only in our personal lives, how we can set our lives up to be focused and orientated towards the kingdom, but how we should expect it to grow and expand. And so my sermon statement for tonight, what I really want to kind of, if I was to summarize it together, is this. The kingdom of God is the internal, so in the heart, and external, so out there in the world, presence and rule of Jesus, where God's purposes and desires are fulfilled and enjoyed. See, they're fulfilled, but they're also our hearts are lent towards them. You know, when I first talked to, when I talk to people who first get saved, we sit at a coffee and go, how's life? What do you think about that decision? You put your hand up in church. That's amazing. But what don't you want to do anymore? That's one of my first questions. Because I expect that the Holy Spirit is going to start rewiring some things in your heart, some desires. I once wanted to do that. I once wanted to do that with my girlfriend. I once wanted to do that with my money. I once wanted to do that with my body. But something's changed. See, we would enjoy that. And so a couple of scriptures around uh, the, the, the kingdom, because it's so predominant in the Bible. You can't not read the Bible and not see kingdom coming in. The kingdom of God is at hand, as Jesus said. Because the kingdom of God is, is internal. So it's in the heart, right? Why Jesus says you will look neither here nor there. You won't look at a, a physical place. For the kingdom of God is among you. It's in you. That's the way the kingdom is. But then we also see it as an external thing to be established physically. That's why when Jesus is teaching the people how to pray... He says, what? Your kingdom be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, establish the things on heaven now here on the earth. And then we see it beautifully mulled together in Philippians 3, if you've got that ready. Philippians 3, verses 17 to 21. 
And Paul is talking to a church. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears in my eyes, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But hear this statement. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship, where we belong, is in heaven. What we desire and what we long for isn't the things of this world. It's of a heavenly one, of the kingdom. And we eagerly await a savior from there. From where? From that citizenship. <laughs> isn't that weird? You're like, your citizenship's in heaven? Yeah, wait there. Wait, what? In my citizenship? I've got a passport. What does that mean? Uh, yeah, anyway, I've, my theory on passports is, you know, you get the ugliest photo, so a country knows how bad you look after a 12-hour flight. That's my theory <laughs> with passports. Sinead and I, we flew to the UK recently. Man, Shanghai saw the worst of us. Um, not, not, no, nah, not actually the worst. Um, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under con- his control, or the external things under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will, s- they will be like his glorious body. So we, the Spirit of God, Jesus, when the kingdom comes, it's going to transform our hearts. It's also going to transform the world around us. I've got two points for us tonight. The first one is this, point one, the kingdom has one king. You ever heard of those nations that have got two, two uh, kings and queens, or two prime ministers, two presidents? Not me neither, that, that's good, I just got you thinking. But the thing is, is in January, in this kind of environment, it's really easy to say Jesus is king environment where all the songs we sing, every person that's gone on stage is going, Jesus, 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 he's king. I mean, right now at this stage, for all we know, Kanye is even saying Jesus is king. That's how easy it is nowadays. It's not a difficult thing. But then how do we keep him there? How do we not let the things of this world creep into the throne of our heart where Jesus should be the ultimate and not let the things otherwise? See, I, I don't think that many, I think maybe some, some of us might struggle with ideas like greed and like lust and all these things. But I think, honestly, what this generation is facing is we let apathy get on there. We let distraction, man, we're bombarded with distractions. To put your phone on airplane mode, like revolutionary, you know, crazy, bro. Dude, you're like, you're nuts. You don't want notifications. How crazy. We're bombarded with distractions. Or even it's easy to make, accept Jesus, but not make Jesus a king. It's easy to make Jesus the thing that helps me out but not be the king, not be the ruler of my life. We can kind of treat Jesus almost like a driving instructor. That we're just here to learn some things, pass some tests, and then Jesus, we're kicking you out of the car. (laughs) 
Anyone else pass the driving test and you're just like, mum does not have to be next to me. That's amazing. She doesn't have to drive from the passenger seat. But we can treat Jesus like that. Like, Jesus, I'm, you're going to help me in this kind of trauma that I might, this suffering I'm experiencing, but you will never actually be king. See, we want the external blessing from God, but we don't want him to be the Lord. If I can steal a thought from Mark Sayers from Melbourne, he says this, we want the king, or we want the kingdom without the king. We want the kingdom without the king. So what are we going to do? How are we going to stop the other things clattering our worship towards Jesus, saying, Jesus, you are the ultimate? Well, in Deuteronomy 12.3, this is... uh, Jesus, uh, God just goes all out hard, like you're just crazy, dude. Uh, in Deuteronomy 12.3, it says this, Break down their altars, smash down their sacred stones, burn their Asherah poles in the fire, cut down the idols of their God, wipe out their names from those places. He's talking to a people that have been lost and are worshipping foreign gods all over the place. And I love this because Jesus doesn't say, slowly deconstruct, get the Ikea instructions out, get your screwdrivers, guys. No, it's like smash, just goes full Hulk mode on the stuff. It's crazy. He's like, get rid of their names. That's, that's crazy, just start scribbling. But what I think is also important to notice is that when we see things like sacred stones, like altars, they were so expensive to the people of God. See, them following God and not following other things was going to be of a cost. Sorry, I had, I had some hard stuff to say tonight, but, but it's going to be at a cost. But think of it like this. If maybe you dropped a child off, I don't have kids, so I, I can't really speak from experience, but, and you dropped them off at like a creche or a nursery, and there was just like dangerous stuff lying around, man. And you're still like, let's go, let's play safe. A mouse trap. Let's say a mouse trap was there. I'm sure you can think of something worse in your head. And you said, chick of the craze, like, dude, what, what's going on there? You're like, no, no, no. We got rid of most of the dangerous items. We got rid of the, the grenade. The grenade's gone. The grenade, we, we, we put that in the bin. We thought that was, that was a good idea. But the, the mouse trap, oh, sorry, yeah, we forgot about that. See the nature of God? That he was willing, he was saying, burn, get rid of, clean out, scorch the stuff. He wasn't saying leave some of it hanging around just in case you need it later. We can often say, well, God, you're being a little bit violent. You're kind of stepping in my space. Isn't that true for this day and age? I get to choose what I want to do. Jesus, you just, you just stay right there. We'll be good. You stay in the passenger seat. I'll, I'll keep driving. You, you help me get my hours up. But, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. I was too much with the analogies. But see, God is wanting to clear out our heart absolutely. Not just with stuff hanging around. Because I think that ways in which we can build idols up is often, yeah, it can be apathy and we just desire other things other than God. We just say, the satisfaction Jesus you give, I, I, I can find it elsewhere. 
And that's one way that kind of we can say, no, nah, I'm going to worship this thing also. But if I can carefully say, I think there's a second way. And that is that we become so overwhelmed by suffering done to us or by us, sin that we experience to us or we actually do to someone else, that we actually stop holding them as a higher authority than God. We can experience terrible suffering and stop the king from coming in. I remember in my life just being in just a, a really, a, just a bad situation. Uh, just one of those situations where there's no good option. <laughs> That's when you know you like your stuff day. Is like when there's no good option and you're like, what do I even pray for, God? Do I pray for this? Because this is an ideal. Do I pray for this? This is an ideal. But what I found most comfort in, what I found the transforming power in, is when I said, Jesus, let your, king be, your will be done. Let your kingdom come, God. Lord, whatever may happen, whatever situation, God, it will not take your kingship. It will not take the throne in my heart. See, if we're going to run the race that God has called us to for 2020, it means that we're going to be putting Jesus back on the throne, back on the throne. That's why we pray. Not to remind us of our needs all the time, although God wants to hear them, but to remind us who God is. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty forgetful. I lose my keys once a week, max, minimum, minimum. I'm definitely going to forget how good Jesus is. So that's why we pray. That's why we've been coming to prayer meetings on the Tuesday or the week mornings and the Tuesday mornings to remind us the goodness of God, that He is on the throne, whether I am finding satisfaction in other things, whether it's that relationship, that job, that whatever, or I've experienced terrible, terrible experiences. Jesus is the Lord in both. And can I say really carefully and really as gently as I can, that doesn't leave room for us to be a victim. I'm not saying that there's a magic wand that Jesus comes and, yep, it's all over. But it means that if Jesus is on the throne, then he's conquered it all. Therefore, I'm no longer under it. Sorry, I feel like I'm, I'm bringing some heavy, heavy words tonight. Thank you, people. I need that encouragement. It was just silence. My second point is, is upbeat. I know, thank you. You're a big sigh. Second point is this. The kingdom of God is expanding. It's growing. Hallelujah. The kingdom of God didn't start and stop with me. I encountered Jesus in my bedroom. I didn't know which God he was, but I knew he was God. But I'm so grateful that it doesn't start and stop with me. Too easy is that we can be like, God, it's my, you know, our vision of heaven is just us and Jesus, a one-on-one like counseling session forever. It's just like, yeah, maybe like some uh, like weird baby, like angel things. Did anyone else see? I grew up in Europe. We're weird like that. But, like, but no, in fact, the gospel has got, is external. It's got cosmic realities about it. It's, got, it's wanting to take on this world. And finding that, that out, finding out that it doesn't, isn't all about me is actually really liberating. Because once we realize that, and something t- if we think that, if we think it's all about us, and when something terrible happens to us, then whoa, what happened? I thought it was all about me. It's a crisis. 
But if it's all about God and his work and what I can build towards him, then that doesn't stop him from doing his will. That doesn't stop him from doing his work. See, that also means that no moment in this life is pointless. If it's about a kingdom that is going to go, came before us and going to go after us, then no moment is pointless. No moment is mundane. It is all for purpose. Whether we're parenting, whether we're at work, whether we're driving people around, teenagers, talk to me. Uh, whatever we're doing, no single moment is, pur- is useless or purposeless because the kingdom is at hand. Therefore, everything, everything we can do can be towards the kingdom. You know, something I found just so encouraging is just hearing about the kingdom that's going outside of my own life, what God's up to. Think about it like this. Uh, the denomination we're in, this kind of style of church started in Los Angeles by an African-American church where the spirit fell and God did amazing things where the fastest growing church in the world is a place where it's illegal. It's in China. God's on the move. The kingdom's expanding. Uh, Or even this, the most common Church of England. Yeah, I've got to bring it back to the motherland. The most common Church of England member right now in the world is a single mother of three living in Africa. Why? Because people decided they weren't going to settle for what they could consume, but what they could build. Because the kingdom is expanding, because the kingdom is going out. Or even in our own church. You know, we saw over 200 people stick up their hand for Jesus last year. Does that excite you? Does that get you something on the inside? Like, yeah, we could actually do this. We could change a city. The people that even I sit across from at a, a coffee shop... And they tell me about the ways in which the world has taught them. And yet I get to say, no, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's Jesus's way. The kingdom is expanding. A great story is in Melbourne. In 1889, there was a church leader called John McNeil who started running picnic meetings. How lovely is that? That's great. Picnic meetings in public where he would preach and ask for God to come along and say, God, do a work in this city. Come and do a work in Melbourne. He reached up to 5,000 people coming to a picnic. 5,000 just in a park. Like, that's a... I'm an alpha, like, that's a lot of alpha. That's, that's, that's an awesome amount of alpha. But the people, the community that he'd built, weren't satisfied with 5,000. Instead, they began to pray for revival. John McNeil writes in his diary, he says, we began praying, praying for the big revival. <laughs> Don't you love that? The big revival. The big one. Let's go for it. The big revival. Seven years later, unfortunately, John McNeil died, but his people were still after God, saying, come on, God, these are your people. Bring a revival about. And in 1902, after a community of churches had been praying for 13 years, 13, an evangelist came along 
and led some meetings in Melbourne. The population at the time being 500,000, over 250,000 showed up to the meetings. This is in our nation. This is in our nation. People prayed and said, God, for 13 years, we see it worth it. We see praying worth it. God, would you bring a revival to this land? You know, out of the 250, we don't know the, where they were at with Jesus, but 8,000 of them came to Jesus. This is just over 100 years ago. You know what's really cool is, you know, the coffee shop scene in Melbourne? That was actually started by Christians because they wanted, for the people who had been previously alcoholics, they wanted somewhere for them to go. And so they just said, let's do coffee. That sounds great. That's what the kingdom looks like. When people start saying, God, we want to see this expand. God, we're not satisfied. So what are we going to do for 2020? What are we going to do for this year? Are we going to let other things, cobwebs, form on the hearts of our lives? Are we going to let Jesus rule and reign? Are we going to ask and see what we can consume? How I'm going to get that pay rise? How I'm going to get that job? How I'm going to... Or am I going to say, how can I build the kingdom? Because it's expanding with or without me. I love what Billy Graham says. He says, I've read the end of the Bible and it's good news. It's coming with or without us. So what are we going to do?